Good evening, everyone. Good evening, and welcome to the second week of Advent, this, uh, this season where we reflect on what it means to wait for God. So we're looking back through 2,000 years of history to what it meant uh, for Christ to come into this world, and we're thinking about what it means to wait for him uh, to come again. And as we talked about last week, you know, this whole, this whole waiting business, uh, you know, it's kind of tricky um, because we're not just waiting for something brand new to pop up into our lives. We're not just waiting for some other world, sort of future reality to pop up right in front of us um, or anything like that. Hope has already come into this world. Hope has come into this world. There's a glimmer of this new reality, this new thing that God is doing all around us. There's a seed. There's a seed of this inside of you. Um, Jesus called it the kingdom of God. And he said that the kingdom is inside you. And he said that the kingdom is all around you. And he said that the kingdom um, is among you. So we have a taste of it. We have a taste of it. But we're waiting for more to come. We're all sort of waiting uh, for more to come. We're waiting for more stuff from God, for God to do something in our lives and something in the world. So what we're going to look at this evening is how do we make room for that in our lives? How do we um, open ourselves up to this new reality to come uh, into our lives? How do we prepare for more uh, to come. Well, in the second week of our Advent series, it's the Songs of Advent, where we're looking at um, different songs that come up in the New Testament story of Jesus' birth. These are songs that people sung about the hope um, that's to come. And we've come to the song of preparation. And um, this song is not that, uh, it's not that old Curtis Mayfield tune. You know, it, people get ready for the train that's coming. Who's with me? Some people. Don't tell me I'm all alone in this one. All right. Um, you know, Rod Stewart, the great Rod Stewart, he remade that song with Jeff Beck in the early 90s. If you're alive back then, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so this is a different kind of song, sung by uh, the scraggly guy who lived out in the wilderness and had a pretty strong message uh, for us about what it means to get ready, about what it means to prepare. And it can help us really think um, about what it means to prepare for what it is that we're waiting for. And so let's look at it. It starts in Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. And it goes a little something like this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, a tetrarch is like a prince, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Echera, and Trachonitis, which sounds deadly. You don't want to get that. Um... And Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now that the technical portion of the sermon is over, there are some tough names to get out. Verse 3, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words Isaiah the prophet. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways made smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Sounds like something MLK would say. I think he did, I think he did say something like that. Um, but that's not the song, actually. The song's coming up. This is just a little bit beforehand. Um, so the story here, it's picking up where we left off last week, but 30 years later, Elizabeth and Zachariah had a son. Uh, John, now he's all grown up, and he's about to take on this role um, 
to fulfill the words of the great prophet Isaiah, who centuries before had this vision about God bringing this king to come and people getting ready for this king to come to make them free. Now, if you're like me, immediately this question pops up. Um, why does there need to be someone preparing the way for the king? Why, you know, why, why doesn't the king sort of just show up? It seems like it'll be a whole lot straight, more straightforward, right, if there was one person instead of two. Well, this whole business about preparing the, the way and making straight paths was actually something that people practiced um, back then. When a king came into a village or a high-ranking official came into a village or a town, people would clean the streets and straighten up the signs and make sure things look really good uh, for him. We do the same thing when Obama comes to town or we do the same thing when the Pope came to New York and Philadelphia. We're doing the same thing right now for when the Super Bowl is coming up here in a couple of months in Santa Clara. For things like this, we spend a lot of taxpayers' money, <laughs> frankly, uh, getting ready because, because there's a special moment that's happening. It's gonna come, right? There's something different that's about to happen. There's something extraordinary that's gonna happen that's gonna interrupt um, our daily lives. And you don't just keep on doing what you're doing or you're gonna miss it. Um, preparing is a really important part of experiencing this fullness of this extraordinary moment that's gonna come. Something needs to, be, something needs to change in our lives for us to be prepared to get ready to receive it. Now, hold on to that thought and let's go back to the words of Isaiah. Um, and notice the imagery here, uh, verses four through six. Make straight paths. Every valley filled in. Mountain and hills made low. Crooked roads straight. Rough ways smooth. All people, not just God's people back then, the Jews, but all people are gonna experience God's salvation. Um, do you see what's happening here? Does the, imagery, does the imagery grab you? This is not about sweeping up the streets for some old king to run through right? This is about something bigger. Valleys, valleys filled in, mountains being made low. These are metaphors. These are images for this much bigger thing that's happening, this sort of big, holistic, all-encompassing, world-changing thing that's about to happen. The problem is that the Jews were sort of conditioned to hear these words and think political king. But it's really it's really talking about something totally unexpected in terms of the scale that they're thinking, right? It's about the renewal of all things. Uh, this is about how people should relate to each other in new, in new ways. It's about how people should relate to God in new ways. It's about what human community looks like when it's centered around the self-giving, loving, forgiving God. It's about what human community looks like. And politics is just a part of that. Actually, the whole thing starts with the heart. That's where preparation starts. Um, it's when the heart, because where the heart is, that's where the focus of life is going to be. Um, it may be that our heart is focused on things that don't really matter. It may be that God wants to focus our heart on things that, um, that actually do, and that our heart actually needs changing before we can really see um, and appreciate and experience this more that's about to come. And um, that's what John's message is. That's what it's all about. It's about turning our hearts to get ready for this new thing, making room in our hearts for it so that we can see it, and we can experience it, and we can understand it, turning our hearts to what matters most. And there's two pieces to it. 
And we're going to look at this idea of being aware and this idea of actually turning. And so let's look at how this goes. Verse 9, or verse 7 is where it starts. Here's the song. Um, you brood of vipers. Quite a, way, quite a way to start things off. Uh, who, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, not much of a, not much of a cheery Christmas jingle there, is it, right? No, you're not going to hear this one on um, Bing Crosby's, you know, Holiday's Greatest Hits or anything like that. Actually, um, if it's any kind of song, it sounds more like Alanis Morissette in Jagged Little Pill. You know, sorry, another 90s reference. Can't help myself here. Um, it's pretty alarming, right? It's pretty abrasive. It's kind of angry. Um, vipers and wrath and fire and axes chopping down trees. Generally, we don't like to hear these things, especially when it comes to our own lives, right? Um, but the strong language here and the imagery that's so evocative is needed because he wants people to wake up. He wants people to wake, and he's using this sort of language to, to shake them up. They were expecting God to work in a certain way, right? And they were going to miss it. Verse 8. Don't say that Abraham's your father. Um, Abraham was the George Washington you know, of Israel. He's the founding father. And what John is saying is that just because of your blood, just because you're Jewish, don't think that you're automatically a part of this new thing that God is doing. Don't think that you're automatically going to see it and that you're going to be saved. That was the old way of thinking. And they were comfortable and sort of cozy with it all tucked away for a long winter's nap, just waiting for this thing to happen. But what was going to happen was something really unexpected and new. You see, I've been thinking about this, and I don't think this was an angry message, actually. I mean, on the surface, it definitely looks like it, but I don't think he's angry. I think he cared about them deeply. I think he saw something and cared about them deeply, and he loved them, and he didn't want them to miss out on what's coming because they're asleep. Jesus was coming to say and to do things that they wouldn't understand. And um, their hearts weren't ready to receive it. They were going to miss it. And we need to wake up too, actually. This is a message for us too. What's in our hearts that needs to be woken up? What, uh, what is in our lives that's sort of we're in danger of missing out on seeing God at work because we're, we're asleep and we're cozy and we're comfortable with the way things already are? So hold on to that thought, because um, we're going to get back to it. And there's more here. There's more here. So preparation has to do with this idea of being aware, being aware. And it also has to do with the willingness to change. Let's move on with the story, verse 10. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share the one who has none, with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Verse 12, even tax collectors came to be baptized, the Wall Street villains of their day. I could say that because I was a Wall Street guy. Um, not, not loved people. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, 
What should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So the crowd, um, they come up to John. They say, okay, you got our attention. What are we supposed to do about it? And there are three things here that John says um, that are common. And what's common about them is that they're all communal. They're all communal acts, sharing. Don't take more than you're supposed to. Don't abuse people. Now, these aren't just a bunch of rules and a bunch of stuff that John is telling them to do. This is a picture of what life looks like when God's new world starts to take shape. These, right, these are the kinds of things that people do for each other. This is about what this new life is all about. It's about forming a community of shalom, where people come first, not things. Um, and it's what the heart needs to be tuned to. And this, this is the thing I think that we tend to miss. Because we live in this Western world where we have this idea that we're all individuals not really connected and we're just supposed to do our own thing to live these self-determined lives um, where everything about is about having the lifestyle that we want and we get caught up in that we spend so much energy emotional, physical, even spiritual energy pouring ourselves into that and what happens is that we get so busy with it that it makes us insulated and indifferent to people around us who might be suffering and um, unaware that oftentimes it's our lifestyle that produces the suffering of others. And we need to wake up to that. Um, if John the Baptist was walking through San Pedro Square uh, in downtown San Jose, I think that's what he'd be saying to us. I think that's the message that he had for us. It's a hard truth to hear, but it's better than living an easy lie, actually. And we need to wake up to the reality that we're all connected. And that has implications for us. It has implications for how we live our lives. Um, there are these sacred and holy links between people that God has created and placed us in. And these are links that connect us to our family and to our neighbors and to our community and to our city and to people way down the stream who might not think and act like us very closely, but it's true. And Jesus came to show us that those links are broken and need a fixing. Um, but the trouble is that our lifestyle often gets in the way. It often gets in the way of seeing those things. And we can easily fool ourselves into thinking that we're okay. And that what's wrong with the world is actually normal. And um, we end up missing the things I think that God wants for our lives and for this world. Um, but oftentimes our hearts aren't ready to see that and to want it and to live into it um, because oftentimes our hearts are hard. You know, back um, when I was working up in San Francisco in finance, I used to um, walk to work every morning and on the sidewalk that I'd walk through every morning on the right-hand side, one of the blocks, there was this homeless encampment that was there. And for the first few times I was walking down it, and I saw these, a lot of people living in cardboard boxes. It bothered me because I didn't think people should be living that way. You know, sort of a natural reaction, I think. But I kept going past them and going past them and going past them day after day after day. And it's sad to say that eventually they just became part of the scenery for me. 
just part of the scenery. And I remember um, that I would sort of walk past them in my polished, you know, polished dress shoes and my new suit and the tie and walk past them. And I think what happened that subconsciously a tape would play in my mind and it says that you work hard for this, you deserve everything that you have, it's okay, it's just the way it is. But it's not okay. It's not okay. Um, it's not the kind of world that God has in mind. And that's not God's heart. And I think many of us sort of fall into that trap. We're asleep and comfortable. We're well adjusted to a lot of the inequalities in the world. We don't see the links in our lives. We don't take them seriously. So what do we do? Um, you know, John's message was a message of repentance. And repentance shouldn't be something that you do out of guilt. It's not coming from the right place. It's not a, I'm a bad person, so I should do this type of thing. It should come from this deep place of connecting with God's heart and your own for others and wanting those things in the world and in our life. That should be the motivation. So how do we prepare our hearts for that? How, um, how do we see, how do we start to see and experience and receive and want those things um, in the world, these new things that God is doing in the world? How do we prepare our hearts for that? Well, we can do um, one thing. We can take a step and we can start by working on the things that Jesus was working on. Um, Jesus restored people who were suffering from broken links. That's what Jesus was all about. And we could do the same. But it's not activism. It's not just activism. It's not just going out and doing stuff because that's the thing you're supposed to do. Um, God doesn't need more people in the world who want to change the world. You know, there are a million nonprofits out there that are, doing, that are doing that. And we don't change the world. Anyway, God does. What God needs from us is more people that want to love the world sacrificially. They want to start from that place. It's about human connection. It's about the heart. Um, it's about extending yourselves into other areas with this belief that Jesus is there, that Jesus will meet us there, that Jesus is there in the encounter with the other. Matthew 25, what did Jesus say? I am the poor. I am the sick and the thirsty and the homeless. We gotta remember that. We gotta remember that. Um, we could take a step by extending our humanity to other people and trusting that Jesus will meet us there and that there will be sacred moments there for us, sacred moments that will speak to us and prepare our hearts to understand and receive and want and desire this more that God is bringing into the world. Repentance is about the heart and it's about being motivated by the encounter and it's about meeting Jesus there and being changed by it. It's not about guilt. Um, a few years ago, I started going to this um, homeless shelter in San Jose, South San Jose. It was part of this group at Highway that was doing some work down there. And um, we weren't trying to solve like the homeless problem. It's a really big problem. Um, it's a big issue, obviously. We were just trying to be present to people. And um, we didn't do anything special. We just played cards and drank coffee and had some conversation. And for me, initially, it was really inconvenient 
I have to say, I was living in Mountain View, and this was down the south. I had to drive all the way to San Jose from Mountain View. And I'm kind of a doer. You know, I like to fix problems and um, not necessarily get to know people, <laughs> to be honest. I know. And here I am working at a church. Now, I've changed a little bit. I know that sounds bad. I've changed a little bit. Um, but over time, our group got to know this one lady who had been homeless for a long time. And uh, she was coming out of this really bad, abusive relationship. And she had suffered some addictions. And eventually she got this job. And she was able to move into this transitional home. This, ti- this tiny apartment, okay, this box. And she was just so grateful you know, just so grateful um, for everything, for little things, for these crappy little mix-match cups that somebody donated to her, and for a, a bed with a broken box spring, um, this tiny little apartment, and this low-paying job, because her life was turning the corner. And it was because of her grit and because of her determination. It wasn't anything that we did. We helped her move. That was about it. And we try to be her friend. But there was something about her sense of gratitude and like this um, spirit of, of overcoming brokenness that just really spoke to me, man. Um, like in this weird way. Like she taught me something. And I think what she taught me is to remember what's, pop- what's possible in people's lives. And what it means to live with hope. And I'll never forget her smile and this, just like these radiant, bright eyes when she expressed how grateful she was. Not to me, not to our group, but just in general for her life. For her life. And there was this like sacred moment, I think, in one of our interactions when I felt that God was saying to me, this is what life is all about. This is it. Can you see it? This is what's important in life. It's about the human spirit. It's about coming alive. It's about seeing that you're loved. It's about reclaiming your true identity and who you are. It's about redemption in life. That's it. That's what this life is about. And it just, like, when you feel that and you, you, you experience that in this exchange, it leaves you wanting more. It leaves you wanting more, wanting to see more of it in someone else's life, wanting to see more of it in the world, wanting to be involved in those types of things. It leaves you wanting more because that's truth. That's truth. That's where it's at. Like Jesus is there in that encounter. Um, And it's deeper and it's way more profound than any inconvenience you have to go to get there. Um, that's the new life. Right, getting a taste of that, that, that more to come. That's what leads to a changed life, is experiencing that and wanting that and giving up stuff so that you can be a part of that for other people and maybe seeing that in your own life. That's repentance, man. So, okay. So we're gonna wrap up. Um, and there's something in your bulletin. It's an index card. And I was thinking, you know, this was like a really hard message to put together, and I'm sorry if it's 
super abstract and all over the place. I worked really hard on this one, and I don't know if I got it right. Um, and I'm trying to think, like, how do you make this really abstract thing more, a little bit more concrete? So this is my attempt. Um, so there's an index card. And we're going to take some time, a couple minutes here. The band's going to come up, and there's going to be some music behind this. But there's some time here for you to reflect on um, what it means for you to prepare your heart this Advent season. And getting back to that question earlier, we asked, like, if John the Baptist was walking down, whatever, San Pedro Square or Meridian Avenue, and San, I just moved down there, Meridian's my major street, so if, walking down Meridian Avenue, what would he be saying to you? What would he be saying to you? What out there is crooked um, that you need to see? That maybe you need to be woken up to? What crooked path out there, what crooked link needs to be straightened? Um, it could be something in your family. It could be something in your neighborhood, your city, so on. Write that on one side. There's some pens. should be right in the pocket in front of you, the seat in front of you. And then repentance is about turning over, right? So then turn the, turn the index card over and write down how straightening this path can start with you. Does it, you know, maybe it's some big issue that's on the first side and it's like this overwhelming thing. What you do, your first doesn't have to be a big thing. Um, it could be going to a shelter and making friends with somebody. But how can you start to live into this new reality? Put that on the other side. And then fold it up and put it in your wallet or put it in your purse. And use this as a piece to reflect on during this Advent season. What does it mean for you to have a change of heart? And how could making some crooked path straight start with you? So think about that. Um, for the next couple of minutes.